Well, we are in Colossians chapter 3, and we come today to verse 13 and 14, as we've been talking about putting off and now putting on. And we are going to sort of end that section on putting on the two final important, most important things, forgiveness and love. So if you remember, we're talking about sanctification, and sanctification is what we have the opportunity to do while we're in this body. If we will do it, God will meet us in our faith and in our obedience, and he will give us the power to walk in a sanctified life. That, that passage in 2 Timothy where Paul says there's all kinds of vessels in God's house. There's some vessels of clay and earthenware that are dishonorable vessels. Wow. In God's house are dishonorable vessels? Because they would use clay pots for everything. <laughs> but the nicer clay pots, they, they, would, they would put plants and flowers and stuff in. But the other kind they'd use as trash cans and toilets and spittoons. And, and he said, there's both kinds, and there, but those who sanctify themselves become a vessel of honor, sanctified, set apart for the master's use only. And so that's where the real maturity in Christ comes. That's where the real joy in Christ comes. That's where we become a fruitful. In a word, Jesus says, be a disciple. Not everybody who believes in Jesus follows Jesus as a disciple. A matter of fact, I'd say very few actually do. A matter of fact, I would say in Western culture, we've really muddied it by basically telling people, all you got to do is read the Bible when you're moved. You know, when the wind moves you, read the Bible a little bit. When you're going through a hard time, pray a little bit. And, and the main thing is show up to church on Sunday and, and give some money. As long as you do that, you're, you're in. You're in. No problem. Unfortunately, given that message, and so therefore most Christians have never read the whole Bible. Almost all Christians in Western culture have never had the opportunity to lead somebody else to Christ and then to walk them through the Bible into maturity. And, and basically the, the message has been, what is sanctification? Come to church on Sunday and, and you know, Come as late as you can and leave as quick as you can. Get it over with, you know, like going to the dentist and, and get on with your life. It's painful to have to come Sunday mornings, but, you know, hopefully the church will do it in such a way it's not too painful, you know. And, uh, of course, in most denominations, they can keep firing a pastor until he finally does what they want him to do, which is, you know, give a 10-minute devotional thought, pet your animals, make sure um, they're all groomed and taken care of and, and love your family and see you next Sunday with no conviction whatsoever. But God's desire is that there would just be this amazing thing that we become his disciples and we're following him and we're following him into all the seasons of maturity. And I have been pastoring now for over 40 years and I've seen God take our church through seasons that were shocking to me. But it was always interesting to see who is along for the ride and who isn't? <laughs> it's always amazing to me where God will literally bring us to the fire for purification in some seasons. I've seen it going through prophecy. I've seen it going through uh, various passages of rebuke. 
and, and uh, going through the minor prophets. Man, that was, that was an amazing season in our fellowship in the couple of times we did that. It was, it was uh, beautifully painful. It was beautifully burning. It was, it was uh, something that God really did. And, but I, I've seen where people are like, whoa, too hot for me. <laughs> they go to the next church, not realizing that that season has to come up again sooner or later. Um, if the church is in, in obedience in the Lord. And so the, the idea is, is that we are willing to go for that ride. The first thing we learned is you got to get your eyes on Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't look in the mirror and say, I am the author and the finisher of my faith. That's so often what people are preaching every week. You need to read the Bible more. You need to pray more. You need to do this more and do that more. And you walk out of there going, oh, I'm so convicted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more diligent this week and doing all the things I need to do for God. No, that, that's, if that's the message you're getting from church, you, you are hearing a false gospel. The message we should be getting from the church is get our eyes on Jesus, grab onto him. And I don't praise to be holy. I'm crying out to Jesus. I'm looking at him. I love him. I want more of him in my life, and I, I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. So I find myself praying without ceasing, ceasing because I love him and want to be near to him, even though I'm in this sinful flesh, this sinful world, yet I can walk near to the Lord. I want to hear what he says, so I, I find myself reading the Bible more. Not because I'm a Christian, I read the Bible. You see, it's a, it's, it's a relational thing. We get our eyes on Jesus and we find ourselves doing the Christian duties, not because I want to be a good little kid. It's because there's fruitfulness in that. Hopefully when we come to church, you're not just marking time. I mean, I know people literally who have learned to walk into church and put their brain in neutral and they're out there somewhere on the football game or on their garden or what they're gonna, how they're going to cook the steak this afternoon or whatever. And literally, they, have, they turn their brain back on once they get to their car afterwards. And you ask them what you sing, they have no idea. You ask them what the sermon is about, they have no idea. They have literally learned to, to endure the dentist chair, if you would, by just zoning into another World, and they've done it now for 30 years. They're experts at it. We want to truly know Jesus, truly know his love for us, and truly love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So get your eyes on Jesus. It's a fellowship with him. That's what he's offering. He's not offering a religion. He's not offering a place to come and burn candles and kneel and do all this religious stuff. Jesus was never religious. The religious people hated him for not being religious. They hated that he didn't go to their religious schools. He hated that he didn't wear their religious garments. He hated that they, he didn't give, you know, I don't know what the word is, but reverence to the grand poobahs of the various Jewish sects. He, didn't, he wasn't a Sanhedrin. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't any of it. And they all hated him for not paying tribute to their particular brand. Secondly, we need to put 
to death. Not take off. Now, we're going to talk a minute about taking off and putting on. But before that begins, there is a putting to death. And Paul is consistent on this. It is in the sexual area. There's only one place that God will honor sex, and that is in marriage. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable among all. Every heathen nation on the earth, a person who's faithful and honorable in their marriage is an honorable person. So this is, this is just a human fact, whatever place you're at on earth. And the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So I know that when somebody's being sexually sinful, the earth doesn't open up and swallow them. And, you know, I, I know that it appears like God's like, yeah, I don't really care. I don't care. Sex with that person, sex with that person, doing this sexually, that sexually. I, that, that's the way it, it seems on earth. Like it's a big yawn. Like it's just Pharisees making it a big deal. It's a big deal. And just because God doesn't open up the heavens and scream at you, or a big hand comes out of the clouds and smacks you, doesn't mean you're not going to give an account to God in your sexual life. There's no redeeming it. There's no taming it. It's got to be put to death. All other sins are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. There's only one place. God made sex, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But it's for marriage. Yes, it's powerful. Yes, it's an incredible passion. Yes, it screams, and especially in a sex-saturated society, it seems like it's almost more important than breathing itself. I understand that. But God made this powerful thing to be powerfully joining a man and a woman together as one flesh. Two become one flesh spiritually, emotionally, but sexually, when it happens, it's supposed to do all of that. An emotional intimacy, a tie that's like no other tie on this earth. Sex is a powerful thing in marriage that God wants to use to bind a woman and her husband together. Then we go now to, to issues that we're always going to struggle with. Even if you, you, you do great one day, it doesn't mean you're going to do great the next day. It's a day-by-day -day thing. You've got to put off, like taking off your dirty clothes, throwing them in the washer, and putting on new clothes. This is exactly what he's saying. Remember in verse 8, he says, but now you yourselves put off the, all, the, all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, and put on uh, all these things that you renewed in the mind of God. So the list goes on. Putting on stuff, God's Spirit will, will, as you're renewed in the mind, as you're praying without ceasing, as you're meditating the Word, there's going to be things that are created in the image of God that can't even be put into words. Or if they are words, they're not sufficient. Saying God loves us, it's, it's almost a joke. Because God loves us so much, there's a word that it cannot be spoken in the, any human language to the death God loves us. And so there's, a, there's a, a love that we can't explain that we're to put on. How do I 
get there. I, I can't explain it. It's just as I'm walking in the spirit, my spirit groans as I'm meditating in the word, as I'm praying and, and I'm putting on something that's greater than anything on this earth, a greater love, a greater kindness, a greater patience. And it's interesting how he contrasts the two from chapter three, verse eight to chapter three, verse 12. Put off anger and put on tender mercies. Put off wrath, but put on kindness. Take off malice and blasphemy and instead put on humility. Take off filthy language out of your mouth and put on meekness and long-suffering. And so today we're going to look at the two, last two verses on this, putting off and putting on in verse 13 and 14. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Bearing with one another. <laughs> Literally, it's putting up with each other. They're enduring with one another. There's no limit. Yes, it's true about our human nature. Familiarity breeds contempt. We've been looking at the same people here at church for one year, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years. You know, we show up and, and we become invisible to each other. We, we, we sort of go, oh, yeah, you know, sounds like we're singing the same songs. It sounds like we're, you know, covering the same topic. It seems like we're all saying, hi, how are you doing? Fine, you too, see you later, uh, and we, you know. And, and it brings this familiarity that breeds contempt. And, and often we get bugged about people's peculiarities. <laughs> we are a peculiar people. First Corinthians says, look at it, look at you guys. There's none honorable, there's none noble. There's nobody really that, that's super popular or wealthy. It's rare that those people are amongst us, Paul says. Who are we? We're the weak, we're the abased. We're, we're, the, we're the bottom 10% of planet Earth, of the society. But yet we have looked to Christ. Maybe it's because of our lowly estate that we were so broken and humble that we were able to see our need for a Savior greater than others. Those who are poor often are rich in faith. So, yeah, we, we come. We're not a bunch of... Awesome people, in a sense. I think every human being, no matter how awesome they are, uh, becomes irritating if you live under the same roof with them, right? <laughs> but the fact is, is that if there's something spiritual going on, and there's something spiritually new going on, it's something that, that God can cause within us every time we come together and pray together and worship together and grow together, it's powerful and it doesn't get old. And so the, the power of it is not that we all feel these loving feelings, you know, flowers and rainbows and, and little ponies running through the green grass and that's what church is like. No, it's, it's something deep. It's just this ability no matter how peculiar people are around us, no matter how irritating we seem to rub each other in the wrong way, we are genuinely committed to endure with one another. That's what he's saying. 
The first thing to put on here, before he just plainly says it, love, which is the bond of perfection, before he says that in verse 13, he, he says the thing about love, it's just it, you believe all things, you hope all things, you endure all things. It just doesn't stop. But boy, do we see this today in these last days. It, it says in Matthew 24 that the family is just going to eat itself up. Father turning against a child and child against his father and, and the love will grow cold and and the family will just disintegrate. That's one of the signs Jesus says in the last days. We're seeing it. On a regular basis, I, I have people tell me how their kids won't talk to them anymore. And it's been 20 years. And they can't see their grandkids. And they feel like it's all their fault. If I wasn't such an idiot as a parent, if I wasn't such a horrible, miserable human being, my kids would let me see my grandkids. It's like something is wrong with them. And then you explain it to them like this is happening in probably 60, 70 percent of the population on earth right now. Families just won't talk to each other. Brothers and sisters cut off. This is part of the last days. And, and so what are you to do? You don't be a part of the problem. You be a part of the solution. Don't give up on people. Don't stop loving people. Don't give in. Don't, there is no limits. It's, it's funny, in, in doing marriage counseling for years, I'd have one couple come in, and, and the lady would say, he did this, this, and this. I can never forgive him, and we're going to divorce. The very next couple will come in, and yeah, the guy did this, this, and this, which is very irritating. And the next wife says, yeah, but he, you know, I love him. He's, he's, a, he's an idiot, but I love him, you know. He, you know, those are some, some of his peculiarities. As a matter of fact, I even find him cute sometimes. Irritating, but cute. So you realize it's in the heart of the person. The one woman says, I, I can't bear this anymore. I've got to divorce this guy. And the next woman says, I've just learned to find it cute. Same exact thing. Or, or he's weak and I've got to pray for him or whatever. But the idea that I'm cutting off ending this relationship because this is past what I can bear. Your ability to bear is spiritual. Your ability to bear is you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit like you've never been filled with the Spirit before. You need to be filled with the love you didn't know existed. We all think we know what love is until we are stretched to love in a deeper way. And then we go, man, I thought I was loving my whole life. I'm really not loving until I understood this love. And typically it comes in the area of people having wronged you, people irritating you, people causing you to feel stupid about yourself when you're around them. They sort of bring me down a level. I'd rather be around healthy, wealthy people because they're easy and gracious to be around. They got plenty of money and, and they got plenty of graciousness because money brings that and brings a smoothness to, to the difficulties of this life. But when this guy he didn't never have enough money, he, he's always, you know, we're, we have to spend a half an hour to get his car to run before we can go anywhere. And, um, you know, there's always something leaking in his house. And it, it's like, it's hard being around him because these things aren't smooth like they are with the wealthier people. 
So it really comes back to you. Are you the kind of person that's going to bear all things, hope all things, endure all things? Well, I would, but them, they're making it impossible. Not true. You're being pushed to a degree you've never been pushed before. God's stretching you to a degree you've never been stretched before. But there is a power of the Spirit. There is a love of God that goes deeper if you're willing to go deeper through this relationship. And then he says it plainly there in verse 13. It's forgiving. It's forgiving one another. You guys know we're saved by grace through faith. And the word grace, it's a gift of God. The word gift, they're all the same root, charisis. Grace and gift, and guess what else is the same? Forgiveness. This word forgiveness in the Greek is karizomenoi. Karizomai, you heard that before, right? This is karizomenoi. It's the same root for grace. It literally would be translated to, to grace one another. But it is talking about forgiveness. And here's the interesting thing. Is Paul puts this in the, as a reflexive pronoun. Which means you yourselves be forgiving. I've heard so many people say, well, I'd forgive him, but he didn't really repent. I would forgive him, but he didn't really say sorry. He said sorry, but he didn't mean it. Or I'd forgive him if he'd asked me to forgive him. He's never asked me to forgive him. If he's not willing to repent, then I, I, I'm not, I think the Bible makes clear I don't have to forgive him. This is all ridiculous stuff, guys. <laughs> all of those are ridiculous. He, he's saying that reflexively in the pronoun, you yourselves be a forgiving person. You be the forgiving machine. <laughs> you're, you're, you're like the, the big wood chipper. Whatever piece of tree or branch goes in, <laughs> you chew it up and spit it out as dust. You're this forgiving machine. Whatever comes, <laughs> you chew it up and forgive and are gracious and are kind and are loving no matter what. There's nothing that can be thrown at you that won't be scattered in dust through a forgiving person. This is what it's saying. The very essence of you is being this person. No matter what's thrown at you, you're going to be doing forgiveness. Forgiveness breaks the cycle of blame and suffering. You'll find unforgiving people become very negative, pessimistic, upset, irritated people. I don't know if you saw this last week. <laughs> they finally arrested a guy who keeps jumping out of his car with a pipe. Have you guys seen this one? And he runs and he smashes people's windows or headlights. But it's amazing. This guy's driving all over the county and everybody is in the wrong. Wherever he drives, everybody else is in the wrong. <laughs> and he has every right. Yes, of course I've... I've gotten in five fights. They all deserved it. Of course, I've hit, busted five car windows. The, if, did you see what they did to me? Did you see how they cut me off? They honked at me. They, they flicked their lights at me. Of course, I have the right to beat them up. That, that's his mentality. Now, all of us are standing back feeling superior, going, I would never be that guy. But are we? 
Are we that person? Are we that person going, that person's an idiot. That person's an idiot. I, 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 I. You see, when you, you, you have unforgiveness in your heart, you become this critical, fault-finding, irritable person. I just, if, you know, you're, you're, you're just naive. If you'd open your eyes, you would see how at fault everybody is. If you would, if you would just quit being Pollyannish and open your eyes, you would see that there are people in this town that need their windows bashed. There's people that need to be hit with a pipe, especially on the freeways. It's you, because you're, you're, you're not being realistic like I am. I live in the real world. That's where you got to have a pipe when you drive <laughs> in your car so you can grab it quickly. That's being, I'm the only right person. If everybody was right like me, we would all have pipes and be bashing everybody's windows. That would make sense. Yeah, or, or you just realize when somebody cuts in front of you, they need to get over. And yeah, they are being selfish. Yes, they didn't give enough time. Yes, that was a close call. I had to break real quick. But isn't that just life? We're all a bunch of porcupines. And we've all been thrown into the same box. And we're all in this box trying to, you know, survive. And, and every time we move, we're making the porcupine next to us bleed. That's life. Life, life is that way. But there can be this love that, yes, I don't think the people of the world can understand it. To a degree, they can because they've been made in God's image. So they, they can see the difference, I think. But I don't think they have the power to do it outside of the power of God's spirit, at least not to the depth. So forgiveness breaks the cycle of blame and suffering. It also, if we have an honest, if we're honest with ourselves, we would admit how painful it is to continually blame someone for our offenses. And number three, it's arguably more painful than the offense itself. Being this critical fault-finding person is actually harder than just to be a gracious, forgiving person. You know, it's like, it's like worry. Our bodies are not made to worry. You worry for 20 years, you're going to be in bad shape emotionally and physically. In the same way, our bodies are not made to be bitter. And if you walk around and that bitterness grows and grows and grows, after 20 years, your face is going to show it. Your resting face is going to look like, you know, a mean old person. Are you mad? No, I'm really happy. Oh, okay. Your resting face looks bitter and angry and upset. So it's hard on you to not forgive somebody, even though they didn't ask you for forgiveness, even though they aren't repentive. The very definition of forgiveness is to give up. Isn't that interesting? To resign, to cease to feel resentment against on account of a wrong committed to absolve, to pardon. Isn't that interesting? Even in our English, the word to forgive is just to resign from holding an offense of somebody towards you. 
It's like when you're bitter, you're carrying around this big 100-pound boulder. And they're going, why are you doing that? Well, I have every right to carry this. It's like, yeah, but don't you understand how it's punishing you? <laughs> how it's keeping you from enjoying life? So it's just better to say, I forgive them. Truly, I just, we're all idiots. We're all sinners. We're all weak. We all are selfish sometimes. We all say things we shouldn't say, and, and we think things we shouldn't think. As a matter of fact, we think a lot of things we shouldn't think. But I can't carry this around anymore. I want to be free. That's forgiveness. It's really to your advantage more than anybody else's advantage. You're bitter at some guy, and he's just, you know, eating his popcorn, watching his movie. He's just happy old guy. But yet when you think about him, there's this mountain you're carrying around. It's really you beating yourself up. Extending true and complete forgiveness can be difficult because it does not settle all questions of blame and fairness. You see, if you're bitter, even when the person repents, even when the person says they're sorry, even when the person tries to make amends, guess what? The bitter heart is going to keep rehashing it. Yeah, they ain't about it. They said they were so. I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, they, they repented, but yeah, you know, you're the one that can't let it go. Because that's again. What it does, but complete forgiveness is the only type of forgiveness there is. Ironically, such questions become irrelevant once forgiveness has been extended. Isn't that interesting? Once you truly forgive, did they really repent? It doesn't matter. They said they were going to do this to make amends, but they never did. It doesn't matter. I'm free. <laughs> I'm free. But guess, it's, it's always interesting as soon as you get bitter, that guy on the freeway, as soon as he said to himself, I'm sick of getting cut off tomorrow. I'm not going to let that happen anymore. All of a sudden, he went from seeing one person in the last year wronging him on the freeway to 10 people a day wronging him on the freeway. You see? It's because of his heart. It went from anger to being irritated to stewing on it in the courtroom of his mind. He's the judge. He's the jury. He's the prosecutor. He's also on the jury. And, and boy, yeah, you deserve to get that rod and break it. Boy, if you went to court, they would, they'd give you an award in your own mind. And so now, all of a sudden, that bitterness begins to fault find and seek out hurt more and more and more until you become a hermit. I mean, that's it. You know, you know what? Oh, you know what peace would be? If I could just do like that guy in Alaska and just have a little cabin like 200 miles from nobody. But yet if I need takeout, they can still bring it to me. And I have perfect Wi-Fi. And there's somebody to talk to if I want to, but I don't want to. Oh, to be a hermit. Oh. Oh. People, people are what, you know, it's not people. It's you and your attitudes towards people that's getting you there. Forgiveness offers a way out of strife and allows relationship to start over anew. 
So how must I forgive? The standard is Jesus. Just the way our Lord forgave us graciously, freely, completely. Let me say that again. Graciously, freely, completely. Colossians 3.13, he tells us, as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Do you realize how great our offense is to God? Truly. Not, not, in, not in the imagination of his mind. But having blessed us with so much. Anybody living on earth is living in truly almost a paradise. The beauty of a night sky, the beauty of an ocean, the beauty of a desert. Isn't that amazing? You're looking at this land that is barren and 130 degrees in August. And it's still so incredibly beautiful. The desert. Any, any desert rats in here? I know there's several people out this week doing it. Uh, and I know Andrew said he'd be gone and Brian's taking a, a group of people this Sunday um, out and they're in the desert. I hope they're dry. I just thought of that. They're getting rained on this weekend. But nevertheless, if anyone has a complaint, he goes on to say in, in verse 13, if anyone has a complaint against another, if anyone has a complaint, <laughs> Jesus taught on this in great detail. He covers it all in Luke 16, 35, 37. If you have a complaint against somebody because they're an enemy, well, you have every right to hate their guts. They're an enemy. They tried to get you fired. They tried to get this out and give you a ticket for parking your car in front of their house. They're, they knocked your trash can over and broke it and dumped trash everywhere. They threw a bunch of stuff over the, the fence and, and they, they, deserve to, they deserve your hatred, your contempt. No, Jesus says... If there's any complaint, get rid of the complaint by love. Put a greater love over your enemies. Do good to them. Lend, hoping for nothing in return. For reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to who? The unthankful and the evil. Therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Wow. How, how do we forgive if there's a complaint against one another? We just shower in love, just as Christ forgave you. The pattern of forgiveness is how he forgave us of all our sins, all our error, errors, all our debt, all our offenses, all of our shameful things that we've done in secret, all of the shameful things we've only done in our mind, all of those things he has washed away. What an extreme example Jesus is. Innocent, truly innocent. He's the only guy on earth that's been innocent. <laughs> if anybody ever had the right to hate, it was Jesus because he was perfect. And everybody on planet, his 33 years of life on earth, virtually everybody sinned against him. His own brothers in, in uh, John 6 and 7, they were trying to arrange for him to go up to the feast openly, knowing that they were waiting to kill Jesus. They wanted, his own brothers wanted to see him get killed. 
But there on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What is what he said? Father, just be fair and just. As they have treated me, now treat them in the same exact way. That would have been reasonable. We'd say, hey, fair is fair. But we would all be dead in our sins and trespasses, wouldn't we? And then what does he say? Paul says, this you must what? Do. You must do. There's no option here. You must do this. In Matthew 18, Peter wanting to justify himself said, well, you know, you keep talking about this forgiveness stuff, but there's got to be a limit to it. Give me the limitations. Tell me where this person has been such a horrible, offensive, evil enemy towards me that the limit where I no longer have to forgive them. What about seven times? Of course, the Gospel of Luke adds daily. And Jesus said, even if it was 70 times seven, Luke adds daily. What's he saying, 490 times? No, he's saying it's incalculable. There is no limits on God requiring you to forgive. And then he tells him a parable. Many of you guys know this, where a, a guy owes his boss. How did he ever get in this situation? But billions of dollars, basically. Hey, and, and the boss says, hey, you owe me $2 billion. I need you to pay me back. Now, in those days, you would throw the guy in prison and take his family and put them into slavery or number of ways of doing it. That the guy falls on his face and just said, forgive me, forgive me. Two billion dollars forgive you? That's, that's, that's a crazy amount of money to forgive. But the master had compassion on him and forgave all his debt. You don't even owe it to me in the future. Well, this same guy, after being forgiven, goes and finds a guy who owes him $2.30. And the guy says, oh, I don't have it. I will pay it back. But he grabs the guy and throws him on the ground and starts choking him and calls the police and they arrest him and they throw him into prison until he gives him that $2.30. Now the group of people that observed both situations, they came back to the first master who forgave him several billion dollars. And it says there in Matthew 18, verse 31 to 35, so when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done. And the master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have for compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he paid back all that was due him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from your heart does not forgive his brother from his trespass. How does God look at it? God's looked at, he's forgiven you a billion, two billion, 10 billion times. And yes, people have sinned against you. But in comparison, it's pennies compared to your sin against God. And if God is willing to forgive you so much, how can you give your fellow man? Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. You know that. And our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
And then in that prayer, he, we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and, 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 and deliver us from evil. And for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And, and then Jesus puts a footnote on there. He says, by the way, you just prayed and said, Father, forgive me my trespasses. But he says, I need, there's an important footnote here in verse 14 and 15 of Matthew 6. For if you will forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wow. When God says this you must do, he really means it. He, he, he's basically, God shuts the heaven doors. God turns the tap of forgiveness off in heaven until you are able to do the simple thing of forgiving one of your fellow men, which you also have sinned. You know, if somebody has sinned against me a hundred times, guess what? I've sinned a hundred times against other people too, haven't I? And you know, it's often really ironic, especially in marriage. You see some gal or some guy forgive their spouse a thousand times and then their spouse sins against them three times and they can't forgive them. <laughs> but when you look at it side by side, it's like he or she is forgiving you a thousand times and she sinned against you three times and you can't even forgive her three times. In the same way, it's about you being this person of forgiveness. And if you're not this person of forgiveness, he says there, that there's, there's no further relationship with God until that issue is settled. Whatever it takes, you've got to come and be broken. Fall on that rock and be broken unless that rock falls on you and crushes you, you to power. Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, and, and he said, you've heard you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless them, do good to them, pray for them, those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes a sun to rise even on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet the brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collector do the same? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. When it comes to the area of forgiveness, he's saying, in this area, you've got to come and forgive as God has forgiven you. This you must do. What's the key? Paul tells us in Romans 12, 17 to 21, repay no one evil for evil. Well, if the guy gets a pipe out and hits my car, I'm going to get a pipe out and hit his car. No. That's, that's what everybody thinks that is, is reasonable and just and fair, but no. We need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but what? Overcome evil 
with good. How? By praying for them, by loving to them, by doing good to them. Well, their evil ways have now bankrupted them. They've, they've treated so many people dirty in business, they're out of business, and now they have no food. Good. I hope it teaches them a lesson. You know, I'm sure it does, but as for you, feed them. As it is for you, give them to drink. If there's a harshness, it's not coming from you. If they're getting what they deserve, it's not coming from your heart. If you hear of somebody in the past who's wronged you and you hear that they die and you go, all right. Or if you hear they lost their job. <laughs> I shouldn't be happy about it, but I am. Okay? It's serious, guys. It's not, it's not something like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I'm still dealing with a little bit of issues here. No. If you hear somebody, your enemy, just won the lottery, $1.35 billion, and you're going, oh, I hate that guy, and now he's rich. Oh, not really. If your heart doesn't rejoice, hey, that guy that stepped on me and treated me dirty, and now I hear he just got promoted, rejoice. You've been praying for his blessing. You've been praying that God would bless him. You've been praying that God would do good to him. You've been praying that he would prosper. You have to overcome evil by doing good. It's not being in neutral. Okay, I'm not mad at them. I'll put it in neutral and forgive them. No, it doesn't work that way. You got to put it in gear and be active, offensive. When you have that anger come up, Lord, bless that person right now. Let, let them have a great marriage and pour love for their children towards them out. And Lord, bless them in their workplace and bless them in their... And then you hear something came up and you have a way, hey, they just had their 60th birthday or whatever. Send them a card, send them an email, send them a, go give them a present. Well, this is unexpected. Yeah, well, I heard about it on Facebook that you turned 68 and here's a present. Why are you doing this? Because you're trying to get your actions in alignment where your heart should be. Have you ever noticed when you start praying for somebody, the attitude to your heart begins to come right? You got to overcome evil with good and by doing actively the things the Lord tells us there in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, we're running out of time. You guys know we just covered in Genesis in, on Wednesday nights the life of Joseph. What an extreme example. This guy, his brothers hated him because he was good. <laughs> he was a good guy. And they hated him, in fact, because they weren't good guys. And dad favored him because he was a good guy. So they were going to kill him. And they decided not to. They eventually sold him into slavery. 17 years old, he was away from his family for 17 years. And he ended up as a slave. Then he ended up as a rapist in prison, totally innocent guy. Spent years in prison. Finally got out. And you guys know the story. God blessed him. He became second in charge to Egypt. But he eventually brought all his family down. And when his brothers saw him as grieved, he said, don't be grieved. Can't you see? This was God's plan to save you. So you 
yeah, you, you guys did me wrong, but it was all a part of God's plan. And I see God's plan in saving all you guys alive through this famine time. Well, the brothers seem to have received the words of Joseph until after Jacob dies, their dad. And the brothers go into high gear. Now that dad's dead, now he's going to do the evil things he's been thinking about for the last 50 years. He's really going to give it to us. And they came saying to Joseph, hey, we forgot to tell you, before Jacob died, he, he wanted you to know to forgive his brothers <laughs> and don't do anything mean to them. And Joseph, when he heard this, he just grieved. He just said in his heart, oh my goodness. And he wept. And when they spoke to him in verse 18 of Genesis 50, verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, where are your servants? And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. And now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them, spoke kindly to them. You know why he wept and he was so grieved? Because for decades, they did not believe he really forgave them. Boy, that's the world today. The gospel message is God loves you. And he made a way to forgive you through the cross of Christ. But they have to have faith. And God that loves them that much that would forgive them. And, and Joseph wept because they didn't believe it. They couldn't rest in it. They couldn't be at peace in it. That's the first thing. Well, I don't, I'm not going to forgive them. Well, has God really forgiven you? Have you really believed God has taken away all your sin and shame and guilt? Because if you really have received it, then you can give it. But if you really haven't received it, that may be part of the reason you can't give it. Can you stand before God and say, I believe I'm as white as snow, without any spot, without any blemish. Well, then forgive. Now you can therefore give the same to another person. But until you've received it, you don't have to give. Well, finishing up here in verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Put on love. Put on love. Take off bitterness. Take off malice. Take off anger and unforgiveness and put on love. That's a beautiful garment, isn't it? A beautiful garment that's a light to the world, a salt to the earth. Love in the summary of all these things we've described. It really wouldn't, wouldn't need to say anything. Paul would just say, take off all these ugly things. And then he could just say this one thing, right? Put on love. He didn't really need to say anything else. Because love envelops all these things. Love is the bond of perfection. It's love that heals every relationship. It's love that unifies, whether it's the home or whether the church, we're unified. You guys know the passage. Let me just wash you in the water of this word of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
And though I have a gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Well, what do you mean then? What is love? Is it a feeling? You know, we, we've so listened to Hollywood telling us it's a feeling. It's not a feeling. It could be a feeling, but it's not necessarily needed. A feeling's not necessarily going to be a part of it. But love suffers long, or some translations say patient. It's kind. There it is. I think that's really it. I think that's what he's saying. Love is a continuous, unending, without limits, kindness. Now, what's in that non-stoppable kindness? It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. Love is the beauty of the believer dispelling the ugly sins and the flesh that destroy unity. Love is the crowning virtue that must unite all the virtues previously mentioned, which is the bond, the unity of perfection or completeness or maturity. Here's some foundational truths. I've gotten this from Craig Castor's Christian Foundation material. Foundational truth, God commands everyone to forgive. Those who obey bear the likeness of his son Jesus and will allow healing and reconciliation to begin. Here's another foundational truth. Unforgiveness on this opposite side of the coin leads to bitterness, defiles other relationship, and troubles the human heart. While forgiveness is free, the alternative is costly. To refuse to grant forgiveness is choosing to maintain the right to demand payment for wrongs done. Unlikely to forgive results is bitterness and resentment. Resentment clings to the past, reviving it over and over. Like picking a scab, resentment prohibits wounds from healing. Bitterness is a poison that affects everyone it encounters. If there is a bitterness in your heart, it has affected. It will continue to affect every relationship you have. The only antidote is forgiveness. Boy, a powerful verse on this subject in Hebrews 12, 15. Looking carefully, lest any fall short of the grace of God or the gracious forgiveness of heart. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by this, what? Many become defiled. Bitterness root itself is a heart and grows, is in the heart and grows to produce bitter fruit that causes trouble, defiles relationship, hinders the growth of good fruit of God, desires to produce in our lives. We must choose to walk by faith and continue to ever deepen in our great love still. I love Joseph and how he saw the sovereignty of God and he knew that all, the, all these things, even his brothers hurting him so deeply, separating him from his own father for so many decades, was also a part of the plan. And Oswald Chambers in his quote, and this is the final thing here, God has an eternal plan. A good will prevail and all evil, suffering, sorrow will cease. 
We can choose to harbor bitterness towards those who have caused us pain, or we can place our faith in the sovereign God and forgive the offenses and failures of others. Isn't that what Joseph did? He committed it into the hands of a sovereign God that even in this, God, slavery and imprisonment, separation from my dad, even in this, yes, Lord, I'm willing. And, and once man who threw wrong in me, I for, I'll forgive them. It wasn't like, okay, but I'll do this and I'll become the second line of Pharaoh, but don't think I'm not gonna be bitter at my brothers for, for completing your sovereign pan. <laughs> He's like, no, I, I realize this is a sovereign plan and whatever happens in that sovereign plan, I'm just gonna forgive. That's, that's as for me, as for me, reflexive pronoun. I don't know what you're gonna do. I just forgave you and then you sent against me three more times. Yeah, I, I just, I'm not gonna change. I'm gonna be a forgiving person because that's Christ, right? Christ is constantly forgiving us, washing us, cleansing us by the water of the word that we're at without blemish, without spot, ready to stand before the Father in perfection. Christ loves us as the church and constantly washing us. So let us be like Christ and love one another, constantly washing, forgiving, not being neutral, but praying for each other. And especially if we see them being hurtful towards you, they're probably being hurtful towards others. God help them. Douse them with love, bless them, do good to them. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we ask that you would do greater things that had even been spoken, that your word would go deep, 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 deep as we meditated on it this week, as we look through these notes, as we think about these verses, Lord, that it would be deeper still in our souls, that your word, as we meditate on it day and night, as we chew on it and regurgitate it and meditate on it and over and over, it would go deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts and our souls until we are that gracious, loving person with nails driven through your hands, nails driven through your feet, a crown of thorns upon your head, suffocating on the cross. Even then, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even then, you are merciful and kind and prayed for them. And then, thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. You did good to them. All the things you told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, you did with nails and crown of thorns in your body, suffocating in tremendous pain. You did all of those things, doing good, loving, praying, overcoming good with, overcoming evil with good, looking to your Father, getting your eyes on the Father. Father, forgive them. We want to get our eyes upon you, Jesus, right now and walk even as you have walked. If you're here today and you've never truly asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, this is your chance right now. It's by faith alone. As many as receive him, to them he gives right to become children of God. Lord, I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior, as my example, as my shepherd, as a sheep, I'm going to follow my shepherd. I am going to walk in the steps you walked in. I'm going to talk as you talk. I'm going to listen to your voice, and I'm going to follow you. And that's the only voice I'm going to hear on this planet is your voice. Lead me, Lord. 
I'm yours. Lord, wash all of us in the water of the word this morning. Bring healing to those who hear it now Sunday morning and those who hear it in the future. Uh, Lord, please do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.